Welcome to a Rocky Star podcast. So this is Brian Argot. On a Rocky Star podcast, I bring guests on from all around sports to talk about their story and what got them started in sports. Today I'm talking with Chris Kwasinski. He was actually referred to me by my one of my past guests, Darren Zaslow. And uh, what's awesome about Chris is he's one of the most easygoing guys that I've met. And uh, being in sports for such a little time he knows a lot about sports media he currently is the reporter over at the spectrum newspaper in st george utah he also went to northwestern there's a lot of action-packed advice in here whether if you're looking to get into college sports or break into the sports industry chris has a lot of great stories and i'm excited to bring you this episode and don't forget to share the podcast with your fellow sports fans out there whether if they're looking to break into media or not I'm always talking sports with a lot of different people in a lot of different uh, categories. And, uh, you know, the more you share the show, the more it grows. And uh, thank you guys for listening. Here's your episode with Chris. Are you uh, are you currently in the office right now? I am, yeah, actually. I'm, I'm technically not supposed to be in here, but this is where I get the best internet. And plus, it, it's I have access to all the archives and stuff. If I need to pop in here and, and just grab something, I can just come in here and get it. I, I promise not to tell your boss that you're there, man. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Uh, so what is it like uh, for, for you guys in Utah as it comes to Thanksgiving? How's the sports scene there? See, it's really interesting because uh, yesterday the Utah High School Activities Association, the UHSAA, just released a statement saying, hey, we're going to start winter sports because originally two weeks ago, the governor put out this executive order, which just paused everything, paused all like extracurricular activities, all this kind of stuff. And yesterday they came back and they said, yeah, we're, we're, we're playing, we're playing winter sports. And the, and it was weird because we were originally supposed to have games this week. There's supposed to be right. games tonight, two, three games locally tonight. And, but the, the new order was like, well, we're starting on December 3rd. So everything up until December 3rd has been canceled. So we're, we're starting stuff again, but we're still playing the, that dance of like, well, we have to try out, you know, we have to get kids acclimated. We have to, you know, do conditioning and stuff. And so it's, it's just another part of this very crazy year, if you want to put it that way. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, the year of COVID and all this, all the other stuff that's like going on, it's been, you know, a bit tricky because I know the, I know the governor there was pretty lax, I think until this last month about COVID and mandate and whatever they're trying to do. Yeah. He's, he was pretty, he was pretty hands off for a while, very much taking the tone of like, you know, I don't want to force people to do the right thing. You should be doing the right thing anyway, which makes sense. It's like, you know, but there's hope. Do yeah, you would hope, but there's a lot of people that, that just don't take the mask seriously and that kind of stuff. And, and there'd be, there are games that I was at football wise that they would stop play and be like, Hey, stop games, put your mask on, you know, just, do, do the right thing, that kind of stuff. And people would just begrudgingly do it and then slowly just you know, take the mask off. <laughs> but, you know, that's, but, but that's, you know, being outside, it's different from being indoors and that kind of stuff. So it, it, it's, it's different. It's a, it's a push and pull. And uh, hopefully, you know, with a lot of the news we're seeing, we're going to be at the light at the end of the tunnel right now. But, you know. Right. And then all that. So I want to go back a little bit uh, before you even got started covering sports, you know, we're at a uh, spectrum, not the spectrum from like the Dodgers. Everyone, everyone knows spectrum. You said daily news in the Utah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I want to go back to your time at Northwestern. You know, it's a very, 
you know, respected school for journalism, sports journalism, that fact they have a great uh, foundation there on helping sports writers and sports reporters get started there. How was your time there? Uh, it's hard to put it down just uh, like a couple words. It's hard to even just fit it into a sentence. Like I write a whole story or column about it, honestly. It's, <laughs> it, it was one of those things where it, everything everything I did, everything I, I tried to do taught me a lesson in some way. It, it really was invaluable. And this is coming from someone who, in undergrad, I did the journalism, not the track, but you know, I did communications. I did the student newspaper. I did everything that a, you know, a prospective journalist should do. You right. do all that stuff and then you move on uh, after graduate, you know, after graduating undergrad, I kind of realized I wanted to do a little bit more. And when Northwestern became an option, I was thinking, okay, you know, let's see what this is about. And and the first time I visited, I remember looking around thinking, oh yeah, okay, this is what I need to do. And and I knew it was going to be tough. I knew it was going to be difficult, especially, you know, adding student loans, uh, going to grad school at a very, very difficult university education wise. But you know, it, it was one of those things where every everything I did was was a lesson, and I'm I'm so glad I did it. Every another day goes by where I look back and go, "Man, I really wish I didn't do that." It's like, no. Nah. Did you and uh, also your your good buddy, your Darren, uh, <laughs> who, who was recently on the podcast? You know, he he re- he referred me to you, and uh, and I, he said uh, you and you and him have sort of similar experiences. Or did you guys uh, cr- did your paths cross a lot at Northwestern? Oh yeah, we. I saw Darren nearly every single day. That that guy, it was a ball of energy. But he was the the right ball of energy. He was that <laughs> that guy that I needed to to bounce ideas off because we we all wanted to do the same thing. We all wanted to get jobs. And at the end of the day, we, we figured that out pretty quick. Like, hey, like it doesn't matter what you do here. Everything you do is going to lead you to getting into the career that you want to get into. And uh, one one of the things that Darren did was start this. I don't know if he talked to you about this, but he started the student run talk show or sports talk show and yeah, called Medill Sports Talk. And he, he just got it off the ground as a way to get on camera, just to get uh, experience behind the chair and, and, and in different parts of the production scene and that kind of stuff. And he, he wanted to know more about it. And they were like, the Northwestern admins were like, yeah, sure. You know, it's open at these times. Can you make it work? And Darren said, we will absolutely make it work. So awesome. he, yeah, he kickstarted that and, uh, it was a little different because I knew I didn't want to be on air. I, I love the production side. I was someone that helped out a lot with one of my other really good friends, Juliana. We we really took charge of the production side of things and um, really kind of pushed kids in a different spot saying, hey, I know you want to do on air, but try this out first. Um, so and it was it was one of those interesting learning experiences for me as someone who's, who's done broadcast, but never to that extent, never as someone who people are looking to me saying, hey, what do I do? And I'm like, at first you're like, uh something i think and, and then it was one of those things where slowly but surely you found out what to do and what to tell kids and it was part of that confidence levels so confidence booster for not just myself and that leads into the print journalism stuff that i that i would do at northwestern too yeah and that that's a great point that you bring up you know because so, some people might think oh you know camera being on cameras for me i want to be that person on sports center but you're you're someone who you're like no that that's not me how were you able to differentiate differentiate yourself from doing that yeah, it was one of those things where I, I feel like, as a, as a print journalist, I, I you know I'm not on camera all the time. I'm rarely on camera as it is, and, but at the end of the day, I, I needed that experience. You know, I, I needed that experience to be on air to hear my voice and say, "Okay, here's what I sound like, and here's what I can do to get better. 
here's what I can do to myself to make my voice sound more confident, to make myself, I don't say sound more trustworthy, but you know, there's, there's a difference of you, you get on the air for the first time and you're, you hear yourself and you go, is that really what I sound like? Is that really what I sound like? And there's a lot of kids that, that I saw in that same vein, kind of print writers that, that heard themselves thinking, okay, but how do I change that? And it was one of those, for me, at least it was another thing where I was terrified, terrified of being on camera and terrified of, of doing all that. But um, as I did it a couple of times and got that under my, you know, got that under my belt and I realized, okay, this isn't so bad. And as I got over that fear, it helped me get over a lot of other anxieties that I had about the journalism industry, especially the sports journalism industry, like right. even just calling people for, for an interview or something like that. It was, um, it was one of those things where it all fed, it all fed into each other. Yeah, no, there's definitely a certain anxiety about it, whether, you know, even we're on a, we're doing a podcast, you know, virtually yeah. you know, we see each other, you know, but it's only recording the audio, you know, sometimes like, you know, I've even had people tell me it's all you get caught in your head, you know, you know, even on the face to face kind of doing that, or I can only imagine what it's like during the live broadcast. It's hard to record yourself on camera, at least for myself anyways. Yeah. I, I get really nervous. I have to do about a thousand takes, you know, it's just at the end of the day, it's just like, you know what? Just like you put the anxiety to the side after, you know, after you gain the experience, you know, once you have that experience under your belt, it becomes a lot easier and you just kind of think less about it. Oh yeah. It's one of those, uh, one of my dad used to say all the time as a kid, when I was studying for tests, like, like spelling tests, history tests, you would always say repetition, repetition, repetition. And that's a lesson that I, I realize now it's like, okay, the more you do something and not just memorizing stuff, but the more you do something, the more comfortable you get with it. And, right. And I didn't realize that I really needed that, you know, cause I, I, I did some stuff on air before in undergrad and, uh, I, was on broadcasts and that kind of stuff, but only like a handful of broadcasts. I never was consistently doing something. And the more I did it at, at grad school, I was like, okay, now I've got the hand, I've got the handle on this. And there's a couple of times I've called it to radio shows here at the spectrum too. And then I realized when I, when I call in, I was like, okay, I, I don't have that same, you know, that, that same gut feeling of like, Oh my God, don't mess up. Don't you dare mess up. Cause you're live. I didn't have that anymore. And that to me was a sign. I was like, okay, I, I'm really glad I did that then. And that's a, it's a great feeling. You know, once you are able to get past that, it's, it's awesome because you're like, okay, you know, what's next for me? You know, what next is going to give me that gut feeling? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and that's, that was part of actually Northwestern in a nutshell really is just that getting rid of all that gut feeling. Cause there's a lot of confidence issues I had as a kid, not as a kid, but just like as a younger journalist trying to find my way, even when I did freelance work right out of undergrad, there would be times where I would go up to a coach and be like, okay, do I want to talk to him now? Like, is he going to be mad if I talk to him now? Like, how do I go about this? And, and I realized now, so the, the other week I was covering Utah's high school state championships for football. And they were down here in St. George because they were moving around. They're usually up North, but down here for COVID reasons and that kind of stuff. But um, I was, I was helping on a paper up North and there's this coach that I needed to talk to for the story and he just lost the state championship. So as you can imagine, he's, yeah. And not only did they lose, but they didn't even get a last shot to try and win the game because their defense made a stop at third down, but had a penalty, which gave the team a first down and they were just ran out the clock. So he clearly was not in a talkative mood, but I needed to talk to him anyway. So I walk up to him and I'm like, Hey, you know, I'm helping out the standard examiner. 
can I just ask you a couple questions? And he goes in on me. He's like, you guys haven't covered us all year. All of a sudden you're covering us now. Like you guys don't show us the respect we deserve. And it was one of those things as a kid, I would have been like, Oh, um, okay. Sorry. But like at this point I literally looked at him and I was like, I just need to ask you a question. Like just answer my question. Then I'll be out of your hair. Don't worry about it. Yeah. So I was able just to put my foot down and say like, I get you're mad, but like I'm here right now. So if you. Yeah, no, exactly. It's like, you know, you could, you actually help out your team, you know, yourself. And if you just answer these few questions and this oh, will yeah. possibly, this will possibly give you that limelight you're talking about. Maybe next year you have a little bit more coverage. You know, you look at the bigger, yeah. the bigger picture of things. Yeah, they were the state champions the year before, and they, yeah, it, it was, yeah, so it was one of those things where it's, it, it was hard to explain to, because I was like, well, I mean, I don't work for this paper, I'm just helping out a colleague of mine, and he was like, oh, oh, and I was like, yeah, oh, answer my questions. <laughs> You're like, and, id. <laughs> Let's get into it, please. <laughs> so I want to go back a little bit more. How did you become a sports fan anyway, growing up? Oh, man. Like, is uh, something your dad was always into, or you just kind of you're watching? It was actually funny. Uh, I, I think about it all the time because uh, my dad, being being huge Bears fans, on Sundays in the fall, I remember my dad uh, would always sit on the couch. And this is when, like, early 2000s when the Bears were just garbage, uh, even more so than now. Like, they were just like, they were just helpless and lifeless in every single way possible. And I remember, like, uh, we would wake up on Sundays and as kids, you know, we'd go to church, go to Catholic church and then come back. And then my dad would just sit down on the couch and, and just yell the TV for like three straight hours. And I'd be like, mom, like, why is dad so mad? Like what's, <laughs> what, what's making him so mad? And my, and my mom's like, just don't worry about it. Just don't worry about it. It's just the bears. He'll be fine. Just give him a minute. And I remember there was the first game I remember watching with him was the, I think it was the Bears and Chiefs in 2003. The Bears just came off a big win, I think, against the Vikings. But that next week, I was like, okay, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna see what this is about. I'm gonna see what 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 really pisses off my dad during during every Sunday afternoon. The Bears just got demolished. Like this is like the Trent Green. Yeah, Trent Green. Chiefs. Yeah, uh, yeah. Forgot the running Holmes. back, uh, Priest Holmes. Yep, Priest Holmes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I can't years. Yeah, like Dante Hall Chiefs and like they were just good and not great, but like a good team. And they just massacred the Bears. It was like 31 to 3. And the whole time I'm sitting here and I was watching my dad, like, what are you doing? And he's like, you know, throwing his hands in the air, like throwing the paper. And, and he was a Jets fan, like what the Jets fans were like every year. <laughs> I was going to say, like, yeah, he was basically a Jets fan, but, but, uh, but, but Chicago, like you get the Chicago accent, you're like, ah, I could throw this bag at the window and all that stuff. And, uh, and, and I remember, but I remember watching the game and I was like, this is so intricate. This is so cool. This is so awesome. And, and, and that fed into the different things that we would do as a, as a family, not just the bears, but like we would watch uh, the first Friday of March madness. Right. That was my, that was the, one of the big days for us. Cause my, my two uncles would come over my uncle Gary and Tony, and we would just sit there in the basement and we would just watch basketball for like 12 straight hours. Jeez. It was like, I, it was habit. It was, it was absolutely phenomenal. Like, and as a kid, I look back and I go like, that is one of the reasons why I got so into sports because we didn't have any rooting interest for any of those teams. Right. Like, yeah, maybe Illinois was in and we, we root for them just because of Illinois or maybe Notre Dame basketball was in or DePaul for a couple of years before they just turned into trash. But like we never had rooting interests. 
So we'd watch these basketball games for like 12 straight hours. And then we'd see like buzzer beaters, you know, we'd see like good teams lose. We'd see upsets and we'd just sit there, ah, you know, just yeah. <laughs> cheer at the TV for like 12 hours. And, and that's, and that's where I was like, this is, this is what people do for fun. This is awesome. Yeah. And it's like, I, I sort of have like similar memories like that, you know, not, a, not a my dad, but it's like me and my brother, we just, we just sort of like graduate, uh, gradually would watch sports. You know, it was like, I remember I started watching football, like 99 basketball around the same time. And then baseball didn't come till later, but you know, it's just like, it was just one of those things, like all of our friends watch football, you know, we all collected cards. We all did that kind of stuff, man. And it was like the best, you know, it was like, this is awesome. And then, you know, you get to high school and it's like, you talk about this with your friends and that's all you want to do. Like, I remember that's all I ever wanted to do. Like my freshman and junior sophomore year, all I ever wanted to do was go to lunch and talk sports for that 45 minute break, whatever we had. Oh man. Yeah. That there, when we, when we started getting into fantasy football is, is uh, in high school, I think it was like 2000, 2009 was our first year. And it, 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 just to give you a, just in a, like an inkling of how bad we were at fantasy football. Like, yeah, like one of my friends got lucky because that was the year Chris Johnson ran for 2,000 yards. And he drafted like Andre Johnson, Chris Johnson, and he had Brett Favre's best year at Minnesota. So he he won the league easily. It's totally fine. But I'm sitting here and I had uh, LaDainian Tomlinson and I loved him as a kid. I was like, I love this guy. And it was that first idea of like, okay, like we're, we're moving into a different NFL because yes. LT sucked that year. Yeah, that was <laughs> like very well. Chargers. Yeah, and uh, my and one of my friend's cousins tried to trade me Pete Manning for LT, and I should have taken the trade, but yeah. I was bad. But I was real bad, so I was like, no, I love LT. But even even now, like there are times where I'm playing, and I'm like, oh, but I really love this player. But I realized, <laughs> like, okay, but is he good? Is he gonna yeah. help my fan? So it was one of those things where I realized. We're moving. We're like we're moving. Like we're moving on to a different era of football, and that's when it was one of those things where it's like you see it happen, and you're like, "This is pretty cool." Yeah, yeah exactly. And I, I mean, I'm sure you regret that trade. Peyton Manning was MVP. oh every day, absolutely <laughs> every day. <laughs> that was like Peyton Manning's like probably second MVP or something like that of it. But but yeah, it's so funny to look back at. I mean, I I don't play fantasy anymore because like I uh, I stopped. I played like two years. 08 was my first year with – or the 07, 08 season with Tom Brady mm-hmm. uh, throwing 50 touchdowns. I was like, was that – I had him. I had Adrian Peterson's rookie year. I had, like, all of that. It was – I mean, it was just, like, one of those – like, before, you know, everyone was being able to examine how fantasy is. Oh, you got to pick up this player, this guy, this guy. I just saw Adrian Peterson have the, his good game, and I picked him up right away. Yep. And then, like – but now anymore, you can't even find that. It's like – You'll get lucky if you find somebody because all the, all the fantasy guys are covering all over it <laughs> every week. Yeah, it's like it's, it's like instant, and that's a, and that's a big part of sports media now. And, and I love that people can find their niche doing that, especially yeah. for the people. And, and I know and I know it's funny because people all the time. I have friends that will like kind of same thing. Well, they'll, they'll have a bad year and they'll be like, "I'm done. I'm done playing fantasy." <laughs> and then the next year they come back and they're like. All right, one, all right, you got me out of the game, but next year I'm retiring for good. I'm like, all right, you said that for three years in a row. Like, it's not happening. So, it, you know, I think that was me. Like, I, I won the champ- I won my championship, my first the the first one, and then yeah. the second one I came back, and I was I, it was it was fun, but 
I just, I just realized what it did to me. Like I was, I lost some enjoyment in football. So I just said, I've never played fantasy again. That's the only reason I haven't played fantasy in 10 years. Now. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I, I always remember the best years that I've had where the years were, or the best football years for, for me really were like 2018, uh, 2010, when, when the bears would go to the playoffs. And I, and I remember I didn't win fantasy that year. I just had so much fun watching the Bears win that year. I didn't care what my fantasy team did. My Bears beat the Packers to win the NFC North in 2018. I was yeah. sitting there in an apartment in Mississippi. Like, yes. you're, you're, you're like, thank you, John Gruden, for giving me Khalil Mack. <laughs> I, every day I'm like, oh, why, why did you throw a second-round pick in there? I don't care. We turned yeah. out to Jalen Johnson. You know, and, and it's like frustrating probably watching the Bears this year just because of their quarterback situation. But, I mean, uh, it's still too early in the season to call them out. I mean, they're still, what, 5-4 and four now, or are they 5-5? Five and five? They're 5-5, five and five, and, and I guarantee you this, if the Bears sign Colin Kaepernick tomorrow, they'd win, like, at least four of the last six games, and they'd make the playoffs just at 9-7. I could see it happening. They've been in every game. So their losses, besides, I think, the one against um, – was it Green Bay? Annihilated them, or – I forgot who annihilated them. Uh, I was going to come back to me in a second. Um, uh, I, I raised it out of my memory. I can't remember. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it was even funny, you know, it's like that Jameis Winston was out there for that long in the, in the off season last year. Yeah. And I couldn't, you know, it's like the saints, you know, scoop them up who the saints already had two good quarterbacks, you know, one, you know, Drew Brees and, you know, Taysom Hill. And, you know, you see Taysom Hill come in. It's like, this guy is good. And it's like, you know, James Winston, who threw for like 5,300 yards, like this guy doesn't have a starting job. Are you kidding me? And it's just funny to watch him kind of slip through people's arms. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's – I don't think I'm ever – in my lifetime, I'm ever going to see the Bears have a good quarterback. I think it's just against the bylaws of the NFL for the Bears to have a quarterback that's good for more than a year. But like, that's okay. It's like the Chargers, they get a good quarterback, and they still find ways to lose by three points every year or every game. <laughs> yeah, but, but Justin Herbert's the truth, man. I didn't think he was going to be that good. He, I think we're going to look back at the 2020 draft class with Joe Burrow, Tua, and Justin Herbert and be like, you could have picked either of these three quarterbacks, and you would have been just fine. Yeah, everyone thought that just Joe Burrow was going to be the you know the sure thing. And, you know, he does look great. It really sucks that he tore his ACL and MCL. It looks like he's going to be out. A little bit longer than you know because this was around the same time if you remember Carson Wentz he went down in week 12 of, of 2017 yeah and then when he bounced back he can't he was able to start the next season you know right away and everyone was like oh the Eagles bring it back too soon they might have yeah. you know but you know, uh, but, you know Burroughs looked like he he might miss you know a lot of time you know even parts of next season too yeah I, I don't see why they why they would rush him back anyway I mean yeah, Not like the Bengals are going to make the playoffs this year <laughs> or the year after that, but but no, it's but that's but that's also part of the that's also part of the that draft process is, is also something that I love to do. Um, I do that every year, unless the last couple of years I've been here, I put together like a Utah draft guide and that kind of stuff for my paper, and and people eat that up, and especially when I talk about that, like the the trio of quarterbacks, the Burrow, Tua, and and Herbert. I mean, I think the maybe I think the Bengals took the wrong quarterback. I think Tua should have been number one overall, but that's just that's just my that's just my take on it. But it, 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 at the end of the day, like it, it was one of those things where I got to write about it really quick and just and just well, just kind of slightly put it in there and see if people would read about it. And they do because people love the draft, especially down here for some reason. But yeah, once you can flip 
flip some Utah names in there and say like, Hey, like here's a local player. Hey, here's a guy from this college that's going to do stuff. That's, 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 that's always my favorite to do every single year. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's the same thing with anything like for locally here, you know, USC or UCLA. It's like, Oh yeah. He's a UC, he's the USC kid. He's like, and all that. So I can imagine how a state that doesn't have a football team, you know, clings on to their college sports like crazy. Yeah. And you, and you mentioned too, that the Southern Utah is now a, a division one school, right? Uh, Southern Utah has been D one for, for, uh, I want to say 20 or 20 or 30 years or so. Dixie state just turned D one. So they're okay. playing their first division one basketball game this Saturday, actually. So it's going to be a, it's going to be a quick time down here. We're still waiting to see uh, what they can do football wise, but yeah. So uh, with, with that said, with basketball, are they going to bring – it's not going to be March Madness. I can't assume that unless – I mean, I guess it's too early to call. They can still put something together. Do you see them moving that back at all later on? See, like, like realistically what teams should do is – and it stinks because Rick Pitino has been out here saying it for like a month now. Like we should just push back – push the college basketball year back to – to January, do conference only, and whoever wins the conference makes the tournament. Right. Like, and I'm sitting here thinking, it's terrible because he's right. I, I want to see college basketball. Like this, this time of year is is really when I've settled in around like that that Thanksgiving, Friday, and Saturday. You know, Friday is all about basketball for me. Right. I would sit there like after Thanksgiving, I would just eat leftovers. I would write stories and that kind of stuff, and I would watch like some. Sunbelt against it's like Sunbelt Mountain West Challenger or just something really podunk that I have no connection to and I'd watch that and be like, okay, yeah, I love that. But like if we don't have to get that this year, like then as long as it means we get March Madness at the end of the year, like I feel like you have to make that concession, especially like if whether or not they push it back from March to May. Right. Like, either way, like I think it should be fine. Like like do do what you have to do to get that tournament just because you saw how bad it was last year, how much people missed it. And now that we have, we have outlines, we have ways to say, Hey, we can do this. Like the NBA with doing the, the bubble in Orlando, maybe it's not the same. Maybe it's just because it's difficult, but you know, at the end of the day, like you can do it. Yeah. It costs a lot of money. I think the NBA spent about a hundred million dollars to make that three month process work, but they could definitely put something. I mean, let's, let's be real. You know, the college basketball makes a lot of money. They could, they, they will get enough boosters in there to put something together. If they wanted to really make it happen in Florida or in Texas, you know, or so, something along there. They they have the the resources to bring all those teams together and and have them all. Maybe even in Vegas, you know, Vegas would probably be the more the most comparable thing to do is to be, be able to keep them around. Dang. But yeah, you know, you would think that, but it's like also you feel for some of these college players because you know I remember years ago I would never be on board with the college players being paid, but they should be paid like a stipend or something, you know, cause it's just, it's hard for them. And, you know, it's like, you're going to be asking these players to make some sort of sacrifice like this coming May or coming March, you're going to end up seeing something happen to where they're going to try to force them into a bubble, I think. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see because, you know, they're, they're going to try to make Mark, March Madness work because of all the money. That's involved. Oh, yeah. For the networks and for the college themselves. Well, yeah, and, and I know that was a big blow to the NCAA last year when they couldn't have the tournament because that's where a lot of the revenue yeah. comes from. That's where so much of the revenue comes from. It was I, uh, canceled. 
yeah, I didn't understand that until I went back and looked at some of the like the financial aspects and all the implications of that kind of stuff, especially with with schools like SUU who get a cut of that money when whoever the whoever the big sky sends to the tournament, they still right. get a cut of that money. So I was thinking, oh, like so what happens now? And SUU's been like, you know, we've been pinching because you know, we've really been pinching because of it. And going through the reporting process, talking to schools, talking to these guys, and saying like, hey. How are you doing? How is everything going? And there was one point last year, I think it was in August, when I was talking to SU's AD and their, their football coach. And I was like, so it's like, how are you guys doing? And the AD was like, yeah, if we can't have basketball this fall, we're going to be in big trouble. And I was like, yeah, they, they bring in so much revenue from all those. And, you know, it's obviously the smaller schools are more affected by that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and that's what makes telling these stories kind of, I don't want to say more interesting, but like it, it, there's there's an added factor of like, okay, if this doesn't happen, we're facing like people getting laid off or facing lives getting displaced as opposed to like, you know, uh, you look at like an Alabama or Clemson, like they, they can just get Davos Swinney to get take a pay cut and be like, okay, then all these guys are fine because we can take part of Davos thousands of millions of dollars and give it yep. to someone like that. He's not getting paid that much, but like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm just like, but even Nick Saban, who's making like 15 million a year. Yeah. 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 You, you just take a little cut of that and you can just spread it to the people that need it. And he's, he's got money. He's, he's going to be okay with that and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, but that's, but SU doesn't have that, you know, they don't have a Nick Saban. They don't have something huge to, to lean back on. And I know the, the biggest blow was when they didn't get their game against Utah State for football when that was all canceled because they were supposed to get like $300,000 from that buy game and all that stuff. So, wow. yeah, it, it's tough when you look at that and you're, you're trying to tell stories and I don't want to say be optimistic, but you're kind of like, you know, stuff can still happen. And But at the end of the day, if it doesn't happen, you're going to lose your job. So, Right, yeah. It's like you're counting on, you know, these teams to play and it's like there's a lot more on the line than you actually think, you know, just enjoying a game. Yeah, and that's and that's why I'm grateful. I got I got a, a lot of that perspective from telling different stories through different levels of you know of athletics, not just high school, but like going up the ladder to pro, college, you name it, and that kind of stuff. But it really helps put it in perspective, and, right. and I can take a sit, seat back and say, like, is this really the most important factor from this thing? Yeah, no, exactly. And you've written some other pieces for uh, other networks, most most notably the Athletic. How was it writing a piece for the athletic? What kind of feeling was that? That was, that was extremely interesting because I freelanced for a lot of places before. You know, I freelanced for ESPN, um, W, and that kind of stuff, writing stories for them. Um, who else? Just, like just other newspapers and that kind of stuff. And all of them are very much like we want this by this time, by this date, period. Like they have very strict guidelines and stuff, which is which is fair. That's usually what to expect when you're freelancing for print outlets and that kind of stuff. But the athletic was very much like, yeah, this is cool. Can you write a little bit more? I'm like, okay, like give a word count I can reach. And they're like, yeah, a thousand. See if you can get past that. I said, oh, I can do that. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm like rubbing my hands together. Like, I'm really good at that. I can write, <laughs> write a thousand words. No, no problem. And, uh, and it was a really interesting story about two uh, bobsledders from the Chicago area who – competed against each other in track in high school who eventually found their way to competing against each other at the Olympics. And I remember talking to them and they said some really cool stuff. And, and I realized, okay, like to flush the story out, I need like another voice. So I, and 
uh, to get it to that thousand word mark. And so I called the coach, like one of their high school coaches, like, do you remember these two athletes? And he was like, oh, yeah. He just gushed about them and talked about them for the longest time. And it was really cool. And I finally put the story together. And I sent it off to the, the editor at Chicago, the, uh, Chicago Athletic and was like, hey, it's all ready for you. Here's when they're competing next. It's like the last one. Like, you let, like, let me know when it goes up. I'm really excited. And he was like, thanks. <laughs> and then radio silence. But but then uh, I, I remember like talking to him and, I, and he finally put it up. And it was one of those things where I went back and, and you can tell like, the, yeah, they, they did edits and that kind of stuff, but they, but they edited it very well. And, and I remember looking back thinking, okay, this is definitely worth the wait. And it was definitely worth all the work that I put into it just because it was so cool. And, right. and not, yeah, and not, not just that, but like, the, and you can see how much it meant to those, to the athletes that I talked to too, because they, on their personal Twitter accounts, they shared the story. They said, I'm so grateful to be here. I'm so grateful to have done this. And I'm so grateful to have this stage at the Olympics to talk to and that, to have someone to talk to about this because everybody was looking at the, because one of the athletes was uh, from, a, she's competing for Nigeria. Her name was Sheyu and Eddie and, and she's competing for Nigeria and bobsled. And it's like people took the story angle like, oh, it's cool runnings in 20, 2018. And, and you're like, okay, but it's it's not the same thing and so you got like good morning like good morning america's talking to them and stuff they're like wow like what's it like bob sledding from nigeria and they were like no it's cool and they just do their thing and then they come over to, and then they came over to me and i'm like yeah so you're from chicago can you help me talk about that and they were like oh yes oh, they were cool. very interested in talking about chicago and it was one of those things where i caught them at the right time because these bobsledders are very much that they were both from America. One's from New, one's from New York. The other's from Chicago. And when I was talking to Shayu, she was very, very interested in talking about her roots and what it, what it means to her to be a bobsledder. And yeah. And, and, and putting that story together, I think is, I mean, it's, it's the reason why I got my first job out of, out of grad school, which was in Mississippi. And I remember looking back thinking, you know, that's the one thing I could take away from grad school, but that was totally worth it. Right. Yeah. I mean, writing something like that is it's like a, it's a home run because, you know, you when you're going through school in this process and, you know, wondering what routes you're going to take or what's going to be your first job. And you sort of write something like that for The Athletic, which is, you know, one of the biggest media sports media outlets out there. And, you know, it, it becomes uh, sort of like a valid like you kind of valid validates you in a sort of way. You know, it's like, OK, I did this. That means I could do more and I am going to amount to this sort of stuff, you know, some, it just, it takes a bit of that uncertainty and, you know, put, puts it aside for that a minute, you know? Yeah. Oh, and, and it kind, of, kind of going full, full circle. It, this, that was part of the, one of those, one of those moments where I sat back and was like, okay, I don't have that anxious feeling anymore. Like I was able to sit there and talk to these athletes who are very, very prominent athletes. I mean, two of the best at what they do, obviously they were at the Olympics. So I'm sitting right. here like talking to these two athletes and, and I, and I, and I, left and I went back and wrote the story. I was like, I did that. That was pretty cool. And, and, and one of those things where I, I remember every time I, I try sometimes and I feel nervous again, like talking to, you know, a, a athletic director or someone that's higher up on the, on the food chain. I'll think, wait a minute, I've been elsewhere. Like I've, I've been at the Olympics doing this stuff like this to me, this is like, you've been higher. Like, don't, don't think too much of this. Go do your thing because you're good at it. So Right. And it's, it's interesting too. Think, thinking about that all the time. And, and yeah, like, like I said before, I wouldn't, 
I wouldn't have gotten there if it wasn't for, you know, the experiences I had in grad school at Northwestern and having, having support systems to lean on in that, in that regard. No, totally, man. I mean, you take it, you take it all for, it's like, it's great that you don't take any of it for granted. You know, you're open to the possibilities of doing something like that too, because you could all, you know, someone could, you know, be in the same position as you and be like, Oh, I'm too good to write about bobsledding, you know, or something, you know, that someone has no idea what they're about. And, you know, it's going to, someone like that is going to take years as opposed to someone like yourself who's being open to certain challenges like that to write about, you know, bobsledding and they're writing about the Olympics like that as, you know, as opposed to, oh, I just want to write about football. That's all I'm going to do. So it's a great uh, challenge, you know, that you kind of put yourself up to the test and you amount to that. Yeah, you bring up a great point, Brian. And one of those things is I see that a lot in younger kids, especially now. Um, well, they'll say, like, I want to do this. I want to write football, and that's all I want to do. And it, it, it's, it's, I don't say it's terrible, but, like, you're doing yourself a major disservice because you're not going to spend your entire life writing football. Like, even even just out of the gate, like, yeah, you can do high school football and stuff, but that's so different from college because you have to get everything yourself. You have to take your own stats. You have to do things. You have to go get the coach. They're not brought to you, you know that kind of stuff. It, and it, it's so different that level. And I was one of those kids too, where I was like, I, I want to do this. I wanted to do college football, strictly college football. And when I got out of undergrad, I was thinking, okay, I'm not good enough to do that. So I had to do other stuff and I had to branch out and I had to learn how to write about high school sports. And it was, it's, it's humbling. It's one of those humbling things, but it's something that everybody needs to have, especially like, especially here at at the spectrum. I've written stories about little league baseball and that kind of stuff. And, and I know people are like, Oh, little league. Like, okay. It's like, you write about little league sports. And I go, yeah, but like my, my rationalization, and this is something that a mentor of mine at Northwestern really imparted was like, if you can't make a story about little league baseball sound interesting, how can someone trust you to make a story about the NFL sound interesting or college football? It's a great point. It's a very good point, actually. Yeah, and it was one of those things where I think back and I'm like, okay. And it's one of those that you can't take – I don't say you can't take a day off, but it's like you can't take a story off. You can't just be like, okay, I'm going to mail it in on this story because that story is probably important to somebody. You know, yeah, there's some stories that are smaller. You know, you don't have to do a ton of stuff, but there are stories where – if you if you mail it in, people will notice and they'll be like, "Well, why should I pay attention to you? Like, you know, this is just as important to me, and you just treated it like it was a joke." So, it's like, well, yeah, exactly. You want to res- make sure you respect everyone's work, you know, regardless of what level it actually might be on. Yes, and it, it's hard to get there sometimes, but once you can meet that humble angle, then you can do anything, and it's fine. Has there been has there been any uh, writers or athletes that you have met that inspired your work, or even at Northwestern or anywhere you might have gone? What was that? Sorry, I missed the first part of that question. Oh no, you're good. Uh, has there been any ath- athletes or any writers that have inspired you that you've met maybe at Northwestern or or anywhere you've been so far in your career? Oh yeah. So one of the best parts also, I don't know if Darren really talked about like the, the amount of alums that Northwestern could bring in and that kind of stuff. And um, there are a handful that all stood out to me and three of my favorites and the people I look up to immensely uh, were 
uh, Christine Brennan, who is the main columnist, sports columnist for USA Today, um, uh, Barbara Barker, who's a sports columnist for Newsday. Yep. And she she was technically like a, a mentor of mine. Okay. Um, yeah, and just she, she and I talked a ton and I just, just picked her brain. I'd throw a bunch of ideas at her and she'd be like, Chris, you're an idiot. Don't do this, do this. And I'd be like, yes, you got it, Barb. And she was, she was so brash, but she helped me, but she helped push myself forward. And then the last was uh, Missy Isaacson, who covered the Bulls yeah. during the Jordan, to the Jordan years. And, and, and I didn't realize just how, how connected we were until one day, I remember I was doing my capstone project at Northwestern. I went home for a weekend. I think it was like 4th of July or something. And I remember I, I, went to bed and I woke up the next morning and I was like, what are these stacks of papers doing on my nightstand? So I looked over and I pulled one up and it was uh, a paper from 96 from when the Bulls were in the playoffs and Missy Isaacson's byline was on there. And I'm thinking, that's cool. <laughs> she was, she and I were literally discussing story ideas last week. And now I'm sitting here looking at her byline from the Michael Jordan Bulls. And I'm like, I, and so everything, everything she said, I hung on to. And I still do like she could tell me like Chris tomorrow, like try to do more podcasts. I'd be like, yes, Missy, let's do this. Or it's same with Barb and, and Christine and, and Christine Brennan. I, I saw her a handful of times that um, uh, she convinced me to go to Northwestern. We had this admit day where for the kids that got admitted to the program, were still kind of on the fence. Uh, we, we went downtown and we went to their, their office space and stuff. We saw everything. We're just walking around and, you know, and she was there. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, like this is just the coolest. <laughs> and afterwards, so she sat down in the back corner and she started talking to a bunch of us. And I sat there and she was talking about some of the hardest lessons that she's learned. And she was like, you know, sometimes you can't go to your friend's wedding or sometimes you can't go do something you want to do because your career means more. It's just up to you how much your career means to you. And I was thinking, and at that point, like I was like, I was just like, <laughs> and and just hearing that it, even just one piece of advice from her then like still reverberates for me now i had to miss friends weddings and it sucks but you know that's just how it goes sometimes and, um and i remember afterwards we got up and we were starting to walk towards uh the, the main hall for this one major thing she was going to do and uh, she turns to me so, so chris and i'm like oh she knows my name we're off to a good start and she said, Chris, where else are you going to apply to grad school? And I was like, well, I was thinking about like DePaul, you know, maybe, you know, Texas or something like that, if they got a good program. And she's like, but you've already gotten in Northwestern, just come here. And I was like, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> so it was one of those things where I was like, Christine Brennan told me to do it. So I did it. Um, and, and so from there, and when I was at the Olympics, she recognized me too. She was one of those, she's one of the people that chose you how to be a, just a pro, you know, like, okay, don't, don't forget the small kids, you know, say, Hey, like that's, I remember that kid. I, I talked to him at this graduate thing say hi to him, see, you know, see how he's doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and it's something when you're recognized for it, you know, it's like, Oh wow, this lady remembers me. You know, she's been doing this for such a long time and she's able to remember your name. It's, it's like a, it's like, Oh wow. You're kind of starstruck in a moment, you know? Oh my God. It, that's starstruck isn't even the way to put it. Like I remember like, I sat back and I was sitting there in one of these work areas do, writing a story about, about like speed skaters or something. And she walks in and she goes, oh, Chris, how are you? And I was like, <laughs> you're like, I'm good, ma'am. Oh, like, how are you? Oh, oh, oh yeah. It was like, it was, it was, 
I, I don't want to say like I tried to act more tough. I was just like, oh, Christine, how are you? Oh, I'm good. But it was like, <laughs> but in my brain, I'm like, oh my god, like she knows who I am. Like that to me is like, you know, it's it's like your favorite baseball player comes up and it's like, hey, how's like how's it going? That kind of stuff. So it's it was one of those starstruck moments. Yeah, definitely. No, yeah, man, that, that's an amazing feeling. And when I had, you know, this podcast is, you know, relatively young. It started in June, and I had a one of my favorite baseball writers on uh, from USA Today, Bob Nightingale. And man, this guy's been covering baseball for over 35 years, you know, and, and, you know, when he replied, when he said he would be a guest, I'm like, this is awesome. A humbling experience. And, you know, I was like, I don't want to mess this up. I just want to, you know, do all this right, you know, and having him on and, you know, just hearing him. And it's like, when you talk to him, it's like, you know, you're totally talking to him with respect and, and all that. And it's like, he's just having a genuine conversation. And it's like, you know, when that's another moment of validation and, you know, like you're kind of starstruck. Like when I'm doing this whole thing, I'm just like, this is Bob Nightingale. Like I, I was reading this guy's stuff in high school, you know, yeah. and now I'm sitting here talking to him and, you know, this is awesome. And uh, it's sort of that same sort of feeling, man. Oh yeah. And, and, and that's the best way to pick out, you know, who's, who's the best it's those people that that treat everybody with respect. And one of my best friends that I met in Mississippi, who was very much like, you know, it really doesn't take much to not be, you know, to not be a meme in this industry. It really takes nothing. It takes no effort at all just to be a good person. Exactly. And I realized that, like with Christine, with Barbara Barker, with, with Missy, and some of the writers that I've met down here in Southern Utah, when I've spent time in Vegas doing some stuff at like NBA Summer League, uh, team USA basketball and stuff like I'm at Tony Jones who works at the athletic covering the jazz. Um, I was in the same room as, as Woj watching him, write. I watched him tweet a Woj bomb and I'm sitting here. Like, <laughs> and I, I think I, I walked around and was like, Oh, excuse me. He goes, Oh, pardon me. And it, it was one of those things where he could have been like, you know, get out, you know, get away from me, scrub. Like you look at you working for a small newspaper. Like I'm Woj. Like people have tweet notifications on for me. And the only person that has your tweet notifications is your mom. So I'm like, yeah, you're right. But <laughs> Like he could be, like he could, he could have done that, but he didn't. And he was just yeah. a very, very cool guy. And he just walked around and he was in his element. He was talking to other NBA writers and he was just, you know, shooting the breeze at them. And when little guys like me were around, you know, he was, he was just like, Hey, how's it going? You know, that kind of thing. Which is, which is great. Yeah. yeah. He didn't have to do that, but it was great. It was nice. It makes you feel like you're a peer. It makes you feel like you belong. And those are the best people. Exactly. No, and that's, those are the best feelings about the whole career. You know, when you're able to be around all them and they treat you with that respect because, you know, that's what you're there to do, too. Yeah, we all have our different beginnings, too. You know, like we all start somewhere. And it's nice when you see people recognize that people are like, oh, like you're just you're doing your thing. You're paying your sports dues. And when they say like, you know, oh, I started like um, one of my favorites really was is Michael Smith, who used to be at ESPN used to be at the Boston Globe as a, you know, an NFL writer and stuff. And he hosted sports center six, which Mel Hill and all that. Yeah. And a guy that he's just, he knows what he's about and he, and he knows the same thing. He came and talked to one of our grad school classes. And I remember emailing him afterwards. I was like, Hey, like, I'm just kind of struggling here. I don't know what to do job wise. Is there any advice you can give to someone who's just looking to get in the industry? He was like, yeah, man, get in any way you can. If you have to do news, do news. You know, you still got time. You know, you don't have to rush to it. Everybody works at their own pace. And it's a great remember, point. Yeah, he and he signed his email, uh, peace, Michael. And I was like, 
okay, that's one of the coolest dudes I've ever interacted with in my life. And, and, and that's why like when, when I got offered my first job covering news in Mississippi, I was like, okay, let's get started. Let's just get this yeah. on the road and let's, let's just get it going. So and that's, that's great advice for anybody out there looking, whether if you're looking to break into sports media or not, you know, just get started and build your way up. It's uh, you know, uh, there's another well-respected podcaster out there. He, he does a lot of, uh, you know, teaching uh, life skills and stuff like that. And he always talks about just get started in something and get that experience. And his name is uh, Jordan Harbinger, but it's like, I, lo- I love his, uh, you know, his uh, approach to life, you know, just get stuff done. If you want to do something, you got to go out there and gain experience and, you know, be a grunt and just kind of, get this, get that kind of stuff going. You're not just going to start off at the top. I think a lot of people are, you know, misinterpret that, that, you know, where we're going to start is the top and you don't have to do the other work. It's like, it's not that way. No, and you can't be, I mean, I know everybody wants to be like the Shams or the Woj's of the world where, you know, you tweet something and then immediately you have a hundred thousand people retweet your news and that kind of stuff. You want to be that guy. Oh, sources say, and I see that a lot of times with journalists too nowadays, especially younger kids kind of my age where well, they'll break a piece of news and they'll say, well, sources tell me. And I'm like, just, you don't have to say it's like, you're not like, I don't say you're not that cool, but it's like, tone it down. Like, but <laughs> yeah. at the same time, yeah. But you can't, you can't be a Woj without starting somewhere. And, and and I know a lot of kids don't have to do some of the grunt work. You know, one of my really good friends in Mississippi, Nick, started off uh, out of college. He went to Georgia, covered UGA. And then after that, he worked at a website covering LSU. And now he covers Ole Miss for the Clarion Ledger, the big paper in, in Mississippi. And, and he's one of those guys where I look at and be like, oh, man, he's he's just so good at what he does. But other people just have different paths. You know, I started covering news in Mississippi. And, and that's how I met him. And, and he would he would ask me for stuff. Be like, hey, like, what's going on over in the city right now? And I'd be like, oh, well, you know, there's just something going on. And he'd be like, oh, well, I wouldn't have known that because I don't cover the city. We don't have someone that covers. You're the only one that does that. So I'm like, well, what I do is important. And I can't overlook what I do just because I want to be something more because I want to be better. And it's nice to have goals. Being goal-oriented is a good way to get, you know, to get to where you want to be. But you have to take those steps one step at a time. You can't do a leap unless you, I mean, there are some kids that do that. You know, you can leap steps four and five to get to step six, but that's, that's rare. I mean, it's all exactly. part of the process. I don't want to, I don't want to use that really cliche line that the Sixers use all the time, but trust the process. Like it's part, it's part of the thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Chris, uh, dude, you've been so valuable today. I really appreciate your time. Uh, there's anything else you'd like to say that you already said? Honestly, uh, if, if, if there's anyone out there that wants to get into sports writing, I mean, just there's, it's tough now, just considering the circumstances, considering the landscape, but you know, there, there always is a need to tell stories, whether that's at the high school level, all the way to pro. So if you want to do it, you can do it, you know, just do your thing, trust the process, don't take steps for granted and listen to Brian's podcast because it's really good. <laughs> Chris, thanks so much for your time today, man. Well, thank you for having me. 
Chris is such an awesome guy. He actually came on the show right before Thanksgiving, so I know you guys kind of noticed that there in the episode. But uh, he was so nice to share his time, and I mean, he has a whole lot of great stories. Just like I said, easygoing guy, and uh, he's definitely open. If anyone in the industry is looking to break into sports, definitely reach out to Chris. His information is all in the show notes. And don't forget to share this podcast with those fellow sports fans out there. And I appreciate you guys all for listening. Have a great day.